Today's reading is taken from various proverbs. A pastor specifically told me to read in an angry voice, whatever that means. <laughs> okay. Wrath is cruel, anger overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, but if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, for if you deliver him, oh no, uh, acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Good sense makes, a slow, makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. The vexation of a fool is known at once but the prudent ignores an insult. This is the living and active word of God. So what is wisdom? It is the acquired learning that helps us to know what to do in any given situation. Or stated another way, it's the development of mind and character that enables us to make good decisions. We all want to make good decisions. Last week we looked at the topic of fools. Fools do not have the equipment to make good decisions. They are oblivious to the dangers that surround them. And I'm talking about spiritual dangers here. They don't see the world as God has designed it, but have bought the lie that they can decide for themselves what's good and evil. If they persist in their foolishness, they will eventually be incapable of repentance and be separated from God forever, who is the only source of good. We encountered four types, a little recap from last week, four types of fools in the book of Proverbs. The simple fool who is naive and in need of training, the hardened fool who's not interested in any opinion other than his own. The scoffing fool who enjoys challenging God's created order and creates discord with his words. And the defiant fool who denies the very existence of the God who made him. None of these can make good decisions. 
because they can't see the world as it really exists. There's a line from a 18th century poet named Alexander Pope, and it's become a pretty well-known modern proverb. It says, Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And uh, you might remember Elvis used the first part of that quote. Wise men say only fools rush in. But he was talking about a lovesick fool. Today we're going to talk about another kind of fool. An angry fool. Have you ever lost your temper and felt like a fool afterwards? That's because you were. (laughs) We all have done it. But our culture is becoming increasingly angry. You hear it on the political talk shows if you listen to those. And we see it graphically in the riots that are going on around our country today as we speak. So how do Christians deal with anger? Anger is a major theme in the book of Proverbs, as you heard from all the verses that we just cited. But it is also found throughout the Bible. Jesus dealt with the topic of anger in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew five twenty-one and 22. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Wow. Seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? Does that mean that anybody who is angry at their brother is a murderer and is destined for hell? I'll answer that question at the end of the sermon. But is anger ever justified? Can anger be good? I'll answer that question now. Anger can be both bad and good. This morning we're going to look at first the destructive power of anger and then anger as a force for good and lastly, how we can tame anger. So, destructive anger. First, let's just look at some of the physical effects of anger in our minds and our bodies. These are a few things that scientific studies have revealed about uncontrolled anger. It keeps you from making good decisions and assessing future consequences. It weakens short-term memory and prevents you from forming new memories properly. It damages the cardiovascular system and leads to high blood pressure. Angry people have twice the risk of coronary disease than their less angry peers. There's a higher risk of stroke. Uh, The immune system is decreased. And there are higher incidences of cancer. It slows down the metabolism, which leads to weight gain. And angry people have more migraines and headaches than others. They have weaker bones and insomnia. Anger pumps chemicals into our brains and our bodies that are designed to be used in emergency situations. And if you're angry all the time, 
It's like running a Volkswagen on racing fuel. Something's got to give. <laughs> Eventually, it's going to break down. Now, I love this. The Hebrew word for anger comes from the word for nostrils. Why? Because one of the physical manifestations of anger is flaring nostrils. So I think that's why we often represent anger with bulls. <laughs> Angry bulls are dangerous. They will charge, trample, and gore anyone who gets in their way. And uncontrolled anger is like that. Look at Proverbs 27.4. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Angry people are like bombs, just waiting to go off. The layman's term for this kind of person is a rageaholic. But the DSM-5, which is the manual that psychologists and psychiatrists use to categorize mental disorders, it calls this condition IED, intermittent explosive disorder. You like that? It's ironic, though, that the DSM uses this initialism because the same initials mean something different um, but similar in the context of the war in the Middle East. In that realm, IED means improvised explosive device. Those are the roadside bombs that radical Islamists have used to kill and maim so many of our soldiers in Afghan, Afghanistan and other places. An uncontrolled anger is just as destructive. The overwhelming number of homicides are committed spontaneously out of anger. Premeditated murders are much rarer, and they're usually done for motives other than anger, such as financial gain. But anger <clears throat> does not just threaten human life. It destroys human relationships. Proverbs 29:22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Anger causes much transgression. It can lead to all kinds of sin. Gossip, divisions, revenge, destruction of property, and murder. It escalates strife. Blood feuds like the Hatfields and the McCoys have claimed thousands of lives. Gang warfare is the same thing. One gang member is murdered, and the rival gang retaliates in anger, and the cycle never ends. Notice this verse is talking about someone who is given to anger. I mean, we all get angry at times. But the danger is in giving yourself over to it and having it become a habit. It's much like an addiction. It provides an adrenaline rush and an emotional release. And it's hard to stop once you get started. Look at 1919. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again and again and again. This person who is given to wrath, it's a way of life for him. And if you bail him out, you're going to have to do it again. And then people get fed up with this after a while and stop rescuing him, and he must pay the penalty himself in lots of ways. Loss of relationships, loss of jobs, loss of health, and often 
loss of freedom in jail or prison. Some people think they can earn respect by showing their anger. But although they might get people to do what they want through fear, they're not going to get any respect. Proverbs fourteen seventeen. A man of quick temper acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. Again, anyone can act the fool and fly off the handle sometimes. And usually we repent, we seek forgiveness, and we move on. But we're talking about someone here who makes a habit of it. This person will be hated by the victims of his rage. Now the lives of people in families or jobs with an angry person are made miserable by them. Cowering in fear often. I know a lady who seemed to be a nice person in public, but who constantly flew into violent rages in her home. And after years of this behavior, her husband divorced her and her teenage children just stopped having anything to do with her. This is a tragic result of anger. So what causes anger? It comes down to not getting something that we want. But you might say, well, what's wrong with wanting things? Well, wanting is not the problem. It's wanting the right things. It's what we want that's the problem. So the first mention of anger in the Bible is in the story of Cain and Abel. So if you have your Bible, turn with me. This isn't going to be up on the screen. To Genesis 4, starting in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, and you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Cain was angry because God did not accept his offering. God said that if he did well, that he would be accepted. That term doing well is used throughout the Old Testament with the idea of living well or experiencing the goodness of life. It's used in Psalm 119.68, which says, You, God, are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. If Cain wasn't doing well, then he was doing something wrong. Not living 
according to God's statutes, not living according to God's principles. We don't know what it was exactly that Cain was doing wrong, but we do know that he was going his own way instead of God's way. He loved something above God. The fourth century church father, Augustine of Hippo, called this disordered love, love that is out of place. He wrote this, Living a just and holy life requires one to be capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things, to love things in the right order, so that you do not love what is not to be loved or fail to love what is to be loved. Then Augustine goes on to say that since God is the supreme good, sin springs from hearts that neglect God as that supreme good and seek their happiness in lesser goods. Sinfully angry people are ignoring the order and nature of reality. They're not seeing God as the supreme good. That's the essence of evil, to prefer a lesser good over the supreme good to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator Romans 125 but wisdom sees things from God's perspective so we get angry when our priorities are wrong we want our dignity our good reputation our possessions our pleasure our comfort our convenience above what God wants for us. And we get angry. Look at James 4, 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James wants us to examine our motives here, doesn't he? This is what a wise person does in order to control their anger. And we're going to look at how to tame anger more closely in the final part of this message. So, that's the wrong kind of anger. That's sinful anger. What is good anger then? Before we look at the Proverbs, I want to see from both the Old Testament and the New Testament that anger can be a good thing. So Moses says of God in Exodus fifteen seven, In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury or your anger. It consumes them like stubble. God's anger is good because God is good. But it's also controlled. Psalm 103.8 The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Yeah, you say, but that's God. Can people be angry without sinning? Well, listen to James again. James 1 Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He's contrasting two kinds of anger here, slow anger, which is godly anger, 
and human anger, which is sinful anger. Now, look at this command from the Apostle Paul. Ephesians 4.26, first part of the verse says, Be angry and do not sin. It's a command. Be angry. So it is possible to be angry, but not to sin. And what does that look like? Well, we can go to Jesus for our example for that. And I'll bet you every one of you had the money changers in the temple come to mind, right? He drove them out of the temple. He was angry because God was being disrespected by these religious hucksters who were out to make a buck in the name of God. And that should make us mad too. When we see God's name being used to scam people, like the prosperity gospel preachers do, it should make us angry. And Jesus was also angry at injustice and abuse. In Mark chapter 3, when the Pharisees wanted to condemn him for healing people on the Sabbath, it says, He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus was angry at their hardness of heart, a heart that values religious conformity over the healing of broken lives. And his anger, it says, was also mixed with grief. God isn't a tyrant who is only angry over rule-breaking. He's a loving creator who's grieved over the devastation that sin causes in people's lives. This is the anger we feel when we see God's creation being injured. I don't mean just the planet. I mean people. I I experienced this, actually, several years ago when I attended a pastor's luncheon hosted by the Awaken Ministry, ministry that fights against sex trafficking. And when I heard testimonies from women who were exploited and abused, I got angry. I got really angry. And then I went back to the church that day and I told another pastor what I had just heard. And I broke down and bawled like a baby in his office. And he said, what are you going to do about it? (laughs) That was a good question. It did drive me to action. I, I became an advocate for Awaken. Um, we began supporting them as a church, and we support them here as a church. And my wife joined the board of directors and served there for several years. Um, when we see things that are wrong that make us angry, it might be an indication that God wants us to do something about it. And like God's anger... Our good anger is also controlled. Look at the next verse, 1429. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And this one. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. This isn't passivity. This kind of anger is strong. This kind of anger conquers the enemy. It's deliberate, not knee-jerk and reactionary. 
It's well thought out, not blind rage that lashes out. I heard about a father of a teenager once who uh, she angrily slammed her door for the umpteenth time. And I'm sure this got his blood boiling. But instead of responding with yelling, uh, he calmly went to his toolbox and he got a hammer and a screwdriver and he removed the door from its hinges and took it away. That's being slow to anger. And that is being wise in your anger. And sometimes it is sin not to be angry. Too many Christians want to avoid being angry and judgmental when it's appropriate to get good and mad about injustice. Another early church father, John Chrysostom, said, He who is not angry, whereas he has cause to be, sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence and incites not only the wicked, but the good to do wrong. And then another theologian, ancient theologian Thomas Aquinas says that lack of the passion of anger is also a vice because a man who truly and forcefully rejects evil will be angry at it. If we don't show anger at real evil and injustice, it makes it seem more acceptable to other people. It may cause good people to think that maybe those things aren't that bad. It dulls our sensibilities and keeps us from acting. And act we must. I like Tim Keller's definition of good anger. He wrote, Anger is love in motion to deal with a threat or someone or something we truly care about. I call this mama bear anger. <laughs> Don't get in between a mama bear and her cub. You're going to pay the price. Good anger protects the innocent. And historically, the church has had a mixed record on this. On the one hand, it was Christians who developed all the institutions of justice and mercy in Western civilization. And I am not exaggerating when I say that. It's a fact. Western jurisprudence is solidly grounded in biblical principles. Hospitals and charities are Christian inventions. The anti-slavery movement and child labor reform were almost exclusively led by Christians. But on the other hand, slavery in Great Britain and the U.S. was ignored or even promoted by some churches And today, many pulpits are silent on the horror and injustice of abortion because they don't want to make waves. And many Christians are passive or even worse, complicit in the sexual revolution that seeks to normalize sinful behavior that God says is an abomination. The church needs to wake up and be angry over these injustices and to take action if we're going to be salt and light that Jesus wants us to be. So, 
How can we tame our destructive anger and turn it into godly anger? There's lots of anger management techniques, like take three deep breaths, or count to ten, or leave the situation and take a walk. And these can be effective. I'm not discounting them. But they don't deal with the root issue of anger. We cannot be completely anger-free because we live in a fallen world. Our anger comes out of our sinful tendencies toward pride and selfishness. Remember what James said, we fight and quarrel because we want the wrong things. And remember that I began by quoting Jesus, saying that if you're angry at your brother, it's the same as murder and puts you in danger of hell. But he said that in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, where he essentially said that the requirements of the law weren't strong enough. He said we had to be more righteous than the most meticulous keepers of the law, the Pharisees. He said we had to love our enemies. He said that even looking at another with lust makes us an adulterer. Who can live up to that standard? No one. Not one of us. That's the whole point of the sermon. No one can fulfill the law. No one except Jesus. This is how he began that sermon. Matthew 5, 17. I do not think that I have come to abolish the law, or do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus fulfilled the law by coming to earth and living a perfect life, a sinless life, and then went to the cross to die in the place of sinners who could not keep the law. Then he sent his Holy Spirit to enable us to overcome our sinful desires. And now, because God's anger for our offenses has been taken away, we can refrain from anger towards those who offend us. That's how we tame our anger. This is how to focus on what makes God angry instead of what makes our sinful flesh angry. My goal here is not to get you to try harder and be a good person that will make God happy. My goal is to help you realize your new identity in Christ as a fully forgiven child of God who can respond out of humility and gratitude for the grace that you've been shown. In light of that, now look at these two Proverbs. 19.11 Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense. It means we know, we understand what God has done. <clears throat> and this one, Proverbs 12.16 The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Because God ignored our insults toward him, we can ignore the insults of others. We don't have to defend ourselves 
because he has us securely in his hands. Being slow to anger shifts the focus and it stops the cycle of violence and anger in our lives. This is the wisdom that enables us to be agents of peace in the world. This is the truth that gives us the power to actually live out Proverbs like these. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. And this, Proverbs fifteen eighteen, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. And finally, 15.1, a soft answer stirs away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I want to end today with a story about a man who lives this out in a remarkable and radical way. His name is Daryl Davis. He's a black man who has made it his life's work to diminish anger between blacks and whites. And he does this of all things, by reaching out to members of the Ku Klux Klan. (laughs) Here he is. Years ago, he made it his goal to understand why people could hate him simply because of the color of his skin. So he set up a meeting with the Grand Dragon, the leader of the Klan in the state of Maryland. And he rented a hotel room for the meeting and waited for the Klansmen to come. And when he arrived with his bodyguard, he discovered that Daryl was black. (laughs) And he was immediately put on his guard. And these guys had weapons, you know. (laughs) And after some awkward preliminaries, they began having a genuine dialogue. And by the end of the meeting, they had become friends. And then Daryl did something outrageous. He asked the Grand Dragon to give him his clan robes as a token of their newfound understanding. And the guy did it. Since then, Daryl has collected over 40 robes of clansmen all over the country. And many, many of them have abandoned their racist ideology. Daryl learned the secret that the best way to overcome your anger towards your enemy is by making them your friend. That's exactly what the gospel does. It turns God's angry wrath towards his enemies into love for his friends. And we can do the same. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we praise you. We praise you that you tame the most destructive of powers. Lord, that you bring them under control and that you make them work out for good. So, Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom uh, when we feel ourselves becoming angry, that we might channel our anger uh, towards your kingdom and your purposes. Father, that you might increase and that we might decrease. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.